This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cricut. Cricut makes perfect, classic, and easygoing polo shirts. For 20% off your first purchase, go to cricutshirts.com fool and use the promo code fool. That's C-R-I-Q-U-E-T, shirts.com fool, promo code fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, October 28th. Happy birthday, Mom. And we're going to run through the Apple earnings report. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, how's it going? It's a busy week. A lot of, uh, a lot of tech stuff. A lot of a lot earnings of coming in. Uh, a lot of product, product announcements. A yeah, a lot coming in from Apple. Um, let's talk a little bit about what they reported in terms of numbers. Maybe we'll get into some of the product discussion a little bit later on. Uh, $46.8 billion in, uh, in revenue on the top line. More or less in line with expectations, uh, down from 51.5 billion a year ago, uh, but that is to be expected, right? Um, we we kind of knew that that was coming. No surprises there. Earnings per share at a dollar sixty-seven, which was actually slightly above what expectations were. Um, so the two big numbers that people kind of immediately focus on, it seemed like Apple delivered a pretty solid quarter. Yeah, I mean. I think it was right on target. You know, I don't think there's really any big upside or downside surprises. And this is kind of seasonally, I mean, the way I look at it is this is the most boring quarter of all the season, just because it's like right before the iPhone launch. And yeah, you get a, you get a couple of weeks of the new iPhone sales in there. But generally speaking, I mean, Q3 is just not a super exciting time for consumer electronics companies. And you mentioned the iPhone. Uh, we might as well just head straight into the discussion on that product. Uh, the company sold 45.5 million iPhones uh, at an average selling price, or ASP, of $619. Uh, so that amounts to about $28 billion in revenue, good for about 60% of Apple's top line. Um, we've seen that trend down a little bit. I think it's kind of stabilized in the high 50s, low 60s, but it isn't quite the two-thirds amount that it used to be, right? Right. I mean, on a trailing 12-month basis, is still about 63%. So, I mean, it's still pretty pretty far up there. And, I mean, you know, one thing I did notice that was interesting is Apple did not disclose this whole thing about installed base-related purchases that they've been doing for the past, like, three quarters, which is, you know, as, we, as we've talked about before, like, there's, in my opinion, this effort to shift attention away from unit sales. But they didn't do that this time, so it's like weird. Like, are you not trying to do that anymore? <laughs> yeah. Anytime you introduce a new metric, especially a non-GAAP metric, uh, right. you're you're kind of shifting attention somewhere. And for them to kind of kind of go silent on that makes you wonder exactly what's going on there. Yeah, it's just a weird change of tune that I was expecting. Because I've been keeping track of this number, and I was expecting to to plug it into my sheet, and they just didn't have it. <laughs> Well, one number that I think a lot of people have to be pretty optimistic about is the general trend with ASP, right? So I said 619, that's up from the previous quarter, and it seems like there's some more upside there. Right. So, the, the, I mean, the main thing to remember is that the reason why it's down o- over the summer was because of the iPhone SE launch, which, I mean, it starts at $400, which is the lowest price point that Apple has ever sold a phone, an iPhone directly. You know, e- even if you factor in, you know, how they bring these older models down, you know, by price point every year. But the lowest they'd ever go before was like a three-year-old iPhone would go for like 450, or two-year-old iPhone would go for 450. And then they came out the SE earlier this year that starts at 400, as a pretty aggressive play to get smaller phones and also first-time adopters, and you know just kind of lower lower entry price. And you know that put a meaningful impact on ASPs, which was 595 last quarter, which is the lowest it's been in about two years. Um, 
And, you know, they did ex- say on the call that they expect ASPs to kind of climb back up to where they were last December quarter, which for reference was 691. So I think we should start to see that number start to push 700 again, particularly if they can really meet iPhone 7 Plus demand, which they're having a hard time doing, just because that phone is so expensive and they even increased that price by $20 um, compared to last year. So, I mean, that 7 Plus will really push ASPs up, I think. And part of the justification with that incremental twenty bucks on the price point was the camera, right? I mean, that was that was kind of the major selling point, and that's how management kind of pointed to that decision. Oh yeah, they they, they specifically said it was basically the camera. Like they they were asked about it, and they're like, oh well, we put a ton of innovation in the camera, into dual camera system. So I, I do think that is very specifically what what is the reason for that twenty dollars. One of the things that I thought was particularly interesting with the commentary from this report was the look at the services segment, and so. You look at the last couple quarters, and you've seen service segment revenue up 20%, and they're, they're really touting this number. Most recently, it was $6.3 billion, which is roughly 13% of revenue. At this point, we're coming up on two full years of them breaking out services as a uh, product segment. And looking backwards, we've seen a huge step change in the fiscal Q1 quarter. Um, in 2015, fiscal Q4, we were at $5.1 billion. That hopped up a full billion dollars in the following quarter, uh, fiscal Q1, uh, fiscal Q1 of 2016. So I'm really curious, looking forward, what that segment might look like because theoretically we should be in this step change quarter, and it'll be interesting to see if they can sustain that growth or if we're going to kind of continue to see them hum along at more or less flat sequential growth. Yeah, services is becoming huge. I mean. Like you said, it's $6.3 billion. And if you look at the past four quarters, this, this is now basically a $25 billion business. It's bigger than the Mac. It's bigger than the iPad. I mean, it's their second biggest business at this point, which is kind of crazy to think about because Apple is typically not that great at services in general. And, and you know, in particular because the services revenue is not – most of it is not coming from a subscription service like Apple Music that bills every month just kind of, you know, expectedly every month. And that, that's certainly part of it, but – which kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is the whole installed base related purchases. A lot of that services revenue comes from just them relying on their users buying content and apps and stuff on the app stores and reliably, you know, and that's why I thought that number, that's why that number is important. I'm surprised they didn't give it. Whereas, you know, not a whole lot of it is just kind of like recurring monthly subscription fees that you can count on every month. So it is important, but they're doing a really good job of growing that number. And it is a, it's a pretty big business now, $25 billion. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's 24.3, but I mean, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I think um, you, you hit on the install base thing, and you know, if there are any, um, any issues with them growing that install base, it stands to reason that the services segment won't continue to grow the way that it has, right? And so that, that's kind of the relationship there. And that's why you always see the step change happen in fiscal Q1, because that's when they sell a ton of iPhones. So um, you'll, you're going to see those two things move together. And that's certainly something that I'm watching in the coming quarter, just because um, you know it, they're they're pointing to it more and more in their conference calls, and I think it's just kind of an indication of a lot of other elements of their business. No, absolutely. Kind of looking forward and looking at the guidance that they provided for the first time since fiscal Q1 of last year, Apple is guiding for year-over-year growth next quarter, which I think is a welcome sign for a lot of investors. Um, the company is expecting revenue to come in somewhere between $76 billion and $78 billion. And when we say year-over-year growth, I mean, fiscal Q1 last year, they posted revenue of $75.8 billion. So, it's not going to be huge, but <laughs> it, is, it is positive growth, right? 
I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it's at this point, you know, looking at year-over-year declines for a little while, um, it's certainly a welcome trend to see. Um, I think some people are uh, maybe a little disappointed in this guidance, given some of the tailwinds that the business has right now uh, at its disposal. So, you know, this is something we've talked about in previous shows, but one of the major competitors, the Samsung Note 7, being off the market, you'd think would be a um, a much larger catalyst for Apple than than maybe they're letting on. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they would they kind of decline to to give any real meaningful comment on whether or not they think they'll benefit, but I think pretty clearly they will. And, and now there's even reports that the Galaxy S7 Edge is catching on fire. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you've seen. There's not as many of them, but I mean, like there there were reports starting in September. So, I mean, that was like a month ago. And, and again, it's not as widespread, but there are like a handful of cases across the world, like in China and the Philippines of the S7 Edge, which is one of the phones that Samsung is pushing people towards. And, and here's the crazy part. One of those phones was a replacement for a Galaxy Note 7. So Samsung gives this a customer uh, S7 Edge to replace his Note 7 that it caught on fire. His S7 Edge catches on fire. Like, yeah, that's... It's just, a, <laughs> it's just like a mess. It's a bad brand experience right there. But, I mean, I, I, I think that, I mean, coming back to their, their guidance, I, I do think the one thing that stood out to me as far as kind of like not so great in the guidance was the, the gross margin guide. I mean, the, the revenue guidance is fine because, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to get a little bit of growth even if it's not a lot. I mean, we've had three consecutive quarters of negative growth up top at this point, so I think anything's nice there. But on the profitability side, I was kind of surprised too because, you know, Apple – in, in the fourth quarter, Apple always get, enjoys a, real, a lot of operating leverage when their revenue scales up to these really high levels. And usually you see margins expand in a pretty meaningful way. And I mean, usually to the point where you're, you're at like, you know, 40%. And, you know, they're guiding to basically upwards of 38.5%. So kind of 50 basis points shy of what I would expect them to, put, to kind of guide to. And, and I mean, la- for what it's worth, last year they did 40%. And, and, and in, 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 fairness, <laughs> in fairness on that 40% figure, uh, that was also a quarter where they realized uh, $550 million or so in a patent dispute agreement with Samsung. So uh, I think that <laughs> added about 40 basis points to that margin number. So I think the true margin number was like 39.6 or so. But if we go back another another year, it was still like 39.9%. I mean, it's still pretty close to that kind of like 40% level. And like, I, I know it doesn't sound like a lot to say like 50 basis points, but I think when you're talking about a business this big, like every basis point counts. Like. One basis point is like seven point six million dollars, so many times by fifty, and that's gross profit that you're talking about coming straight down through the income statement. And I, I just kind of, th- and you know, they've been talking a lot about com- um, commodity costs and component costs being very favorable. Um, so I'm kind of like wondering why that guidance wasn't stronger. I mean, it's also possible there's some currency effects because I mean they've been battling the strengthening dollar for a really long time, and I mean that's also very, very much hurting them because I mean so about two thirds of revenue comes from outside the U.S., so uh, the strengthening dollar has been hurting them for many quarters, so I mean, that could also be part of it, but I think that might have been kind of why the initial market reaction was negative, because if you were watching After Hours, the, the stock jumped on the iPhone number as soon as it released, and then it started kind of give back those gains as, as people read through the numbers and started digesting them a little bit. Yeah, and we're going to hit on that a little bit in the second half of the show. Also talk about a couple of things that analysts are concerned about and whether they're really a cause for concern. But before we do, um, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at cricketshirts.com. Cricket makes 
comfortable, sharp-looking polos that perfectly mix old-school style and modern design. Cricket shirts are made with super soft, 100% certified organic cotton, making them as comfortable on the 19th hole as they are on the 18th. The fit is not too baggy, not too skinny. Shirts come with removable collar stays to help keep your collar lo looking crisp and new. We all know the worst thing in the world is a bacon collar, and Cricket's collars don't get wrinkled or rippled. Plus, they offer free no-hassle returns and exchanges. Cricket actually sent over some shirts uh, to The Fool for us to check out since they were sponsoring the show. I've worn mine into the office a couple times. It's a really great shirt for that slightly dressed-up casual look. Uh, I'll say like I fit in walking around The Fool in our slightly more startup environment. And then also just heading out to happy hour with my friends after work. Uh, it's definitely a really versatile shirt, great all-purpose shirt. It's got that kind of modern tailored cut to it. Not boxy like some of the other polos I own, but it also doesn't really feel like it's painted on either. So um, just something to check out. As a special offer to our dozens of listeners, get 20% off your first purchase by going to cricketshirts.com fool and using the promo code fool. That's C-R-I-Q-U-E-T shirts.com fool, promo code fool. So Evan hinted at uh, some of the things that we wanted to discuss here on the second half, some analyst concerns, and I think the market reaction to earnings. This came up in the conference call from a couple different folks. I've seen some people worried about what's going on with the R&D spend, research and development side of Apple's expenses, and uh, what's going on in China for them. So you want to hit on that a little bit? Yeah, I think you know there is some questions about you know why is R&D growth, expenditure growth growing kind of at this accelerating pace. I mean, it used to be the case that R&D for Apple, Apple used, is really good at efficiently spending on R&D. Like, it's usually only three, I mean, a few years ago, it used to always, always be in this kind of two to 3% of revenue range, which is tiny. I mean, a lot of other tech companies are usually 10, 15%, like Google, Microsoft, They that's how much they spend a revenue on R&D, which is, and, and you know, it's not as if the more you spend, the more you innovate. It's not this, linear thing that you know, so I mean because that, that waste that can be wasteful sometimes if you're spending on projects that you never actually commercialize and which I think Microsoft has a t tendency to do so Apple's always been really good at just only really putting this money into things that they know that they can commercialize later on but now in the past few quarters we're seeing this number kind of rise to this five six percent of sales and at the same time that revenue is slowing down so there's a lot of question of like hey what's going on here and, I mean, the obvious answer is that, yeah, they're, they're spending money on these things in the pipeline that they won't talk about. Um, Which is maddening, right, as an investor. <laughs> you're like, don't worry, we're spending it well. We're using it. Uh, we're just allocating resources us. great. Just trust us, yeah. Just trust us. <laughs> and, and, like, yeah, I mean, it's all this talk of a car, and clearly a car is incredibly expensive to develop. Um, I mean, who knows if they actually do it. There's all these conflicting reports on where Apple is or isn't heading with this car idea. But that is certainly, you know, as far as expenses go, I mean, yeah, that's probably extremely expensive to to do on the R&D front and you know that you know, there's things like augmented reality uh, virtual reality AI you know there's a lot, there are a lot of things that Apple is certainly exploring here but they can't talk about it so the real, this is the real question I think at this point is you know, yeah we know they're spending this money on and we can probably guess on what these things are based on not only where Apple specific rumors are coming from but also just like, like where the tech industry is going like yeah we know everyone is working on these things so the real question will be like, can they do these things? And you know, whenever they do launch them, will they be compelling? Will they be better than everyone else? And will they, will they actually drive the business even more? And you just have to wait. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's a wait and see type thing for investors. I'm not freaking out about it yet, but I think it's just kind of a good thing to monitor. Oh yeah, definitely. What about what's going on in China? 
So China, you know, there's this big thing of like, oh, sales are down 30%, um, which follows, I mean, last quarter, they were down 33%. The quarter before that, they were down 26%. So if you just look at these year-over-year numbers, you, it looks really bad. <laughs> but when I mean, you have to realize that they're, face, they're just facing tough comps because they did so well in 2015. And, you know, if you look at the if you kind of like zoomed out a little bit and looked at their business on an annual basis, I mean, this is still like a $46 billion business in China. And last year it was like a 50 plus billion dollars. So it's still a very big, and the year before it was like 20 in the 20. So, I mean, this is still very much headed in the right direction. And I mean, it's kind of crazy if like I used to track their greater China sales before they actually broke it out and disclosed it in this much detail. And I mean, if you go back to like fiscal, I think 2009, I think it was, they did like less than a billion dollars in sales that year. Wow. Like, like, I mean, you'd have to basically stitch these numbers together from conference call comments, which I used to do, (laughs) but now they give it to you directly. But like, I used to kind of like dig these numbers up and yeah, like I think it was 900 million in fiscal 2009 and that was seven years ago. And now they're at basically 45, 50 billion. Like you can't argue with the long-term trajectory of it. And I mean, there's still a lot of room to go. I mean, th- this is nowhere near the end game. China is still very not, nowhere near saturated. There's still tons of first-time smartphone buyers. Middle class is still booming. Like, just a couple of c- tough comparisons, just because they did so well last year. I, I wouldn't worry too much just about you know. It's just kind of this noisy um, quarterly trends of you know quarter to quarter. It's tough to call, but. Yeah, and, and yeah, there is certainly some competition coming in from these lower end Android handset makers like Xiaomi and all these other local players. But at the same time, I don't think there's really a lot to worry about. There's still a lot of room to grow in terms of physical geographic footprint. They don't have that many stores still. They only have about 40 stores or so. So, I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything to worry about, even if the, the, this one quarter or the past couple quarters looks scary on paper. Yeah, if you choose to look at their numbers on a two-year comp instead of a year-over-year comp, they look pretty darn impressive, right? Right. <laughs> so, just something to keep in mind there. Um, so, in my eyes, pretty solid quarter. I think they met expectations. They set guidance that kind of put them back onto at least some sort of growth for, the, for at least the next quarter. Um, we had a listener tweet and I think that this is something that probably a lot of people are wondering. You say, okay, they checked the boxes in a lot of ways. Why are they down 2.5% since they've reported? You know, the, you said the initial reaction when you saw iPhone units was positive, and then pretty much after that, they've fallen off and they haven't really recovered. Um, you know, 2.5% is, is nothing to go crazy panic over, but I, th- I think it's a valid question. And I think it's a lot of people are want, uh, something a lot of people are wondering. What do you think? I think that it was just kind of. N- in line with expectations, and I mean, it, it's it's always hard to know how the market is going to react because it's it's not always just about like what the actual consensus number is. It's also about the whisper number, which is just like abstract concept of like what people actually think. Um, you know, because that's what the way these analysts work is when they're meeting with these investors, they they have this they talk about this whisper number, like oh, this is what I have on my official estimate but i think they'll probably go lower or higher you know so it's it's always hard to gauge what's actually going to happen and yeah i mean two percent is not a not a killer move in either direction so i think they're just kind of like i think it's more just a lack of being impressed <laughs> if that makes sense like you know we talked about the gross margin guide wasn't super great you know and you know people just have to start accepting that apple is just not a gross machine anymore and that's okay but some people have trouble with that just because it's 
it's kind of boring to not have a growth machine. <laughs> yeah, and in fairness, this is a company that has historically provided relatively conservative guidance, right? You know, you almost never see them miss their own guidance marks. Um, they, they typically either meet it or surprise pretty comfortably. So, um, to show them projecting growth means they must be pretty confident that that's going to happen. And they do have some nice tailwinds to support that. Like I said, they have one of the biggest competitors off the market, and they also benefit this quarter from a 14-week uh, Q1 instead of a 13-week Q1. So, um, that, that should help them out a little bit in a couple extra selling days there. But um, by and large, there's nothing in this report, in my end at least, uh, that really changes my thesis on this company. Right. And, and I mean, you, they do pretty much always get within their guidance. Now, it's not like the old days when they would put out this like laughably low guidance number, these low ball that you could just basically ignore. And I mean, a few years ago, they changed it to, to really be more honest in a way, like actually give a range that they're pretty confident they'll get within. And for the most part, they have, you know, every quarter, more or less. Uh, since I mean I, I I definitely take their guidance at face value these days versus the old days when you could basically just laugh it off because it was just a joke, uh, and I think maybe you know that maybe that's another reason why they weren't as impressed because maybe you know like you mentioned there's an extra week this in this quarter, and you know if the revenue growth is because you're getting an extra week that doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence in the business and again it's not like it's like a terrible business, but. It's just if you want to look at things skeptically, you say, "Oh, you're only going to grow because you have more days to sell in the core," which right. you know maybe that's another thing people were kind of disappointed about. But even them just returning to a flat quarter, in my eyes, is is great because oh, yeah. we've seen this downtrend for such a long time that uh, seeing them get back to you know whether it be zero or even uh, or positive growth is is pretty fantastic. So yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else before I let you go, Evan? No, I think we covered their earnings pretty well. All right. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. You can always tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.